coming, Lord. Prepare us, Lord. Let the end of every meeting be that we are being exhorted and encouraged to prepare for the hastening for the coming of the Lord. To that end, Lord, I commit even this service, the ministry of the word. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Last Sunday. Did I preach last Sunday? I didn't preach last Sunday. So, last week, too many meetings, right? We were looking at the call of every Christian. We're looking at the life of Moses. And we see when God calls him at the age of 80. Like I said, all who are saved, we were called in our mother's womb. Everybody. But everybody is not chosen yet. <laughs> we confuse the calling with the choosing because we are not ready yet. And we are went before we are sent. <laughs> and then we wonder what hit us. God will say, if you were careful, I would have told you, I didn't send you, you ran before your time. That's what happened to Moses. And we saw his first reasoning was, who am I? Well, 40 years earlier, he said, I am who? (laughs) 40 years later, he says, who am I? That feeling of unworthiness. Uh, which is not a bad thing as long as it is not self-pity. If it is genuine, because none of us are worthy. Okay, none of us are worthy. We need to be made worthy by him. Okay, and that's what he does. He says, put your hand on your bosom. Shows. Put your hand back again and shows. Put that rod on the ground. Shows what empowered you all these years. Now pick it up by the tail. And then, no, what can empower you, what the power of God can do to the powers of darkness. And then he sends him, okay? Then you have the second excuse he makes of, I don't know who you are. <laughs> what do I tell them? Okay, and we looked in detail, not in full detail. There are so many facets of God's character. And all of eternity will be still getting to know God. And that's what eternal life is. You forget what eternal life is. Eternal life is to know God. And now, coming to today, you know, we have this blank check. I am who I am. And we know so much. We have heard so much more than any time in our church's history in the past 93 days. Three months we have heard like it was like non-stop. Like it's literally like quail in the desert was coming out of our nostrils. Okay. Okay. It was just word and word and word. Yet we ask this question. Yet why do we struggle so much? Right? We have all these incredible revelations of who God is. We have this incredible promises of God, awesome promise, 9,000 plus promises of God with this seal saying that it is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. We know he's absolutely complete in his power. I mean, his power. We know his provision is 
unrivaled. Imagine that trip in the desert which lasted 40 years. <laughs> Not a single day did they go hungry. We are talking about 40 days, 40 years lockdown. With no stimulus check from the government. But every day they ate. You look at a um, physical man's need. It was met. Absolutely. Nobody died because of God. Everybody died because of their sin. And he kept them through those 40 years. So we have to look at this and say, we have all these promises. We have this incredible power of God literally available to his children. The promises, the power, and the provision, everything there. And then God says, occupy till I come. The actual truth of believers is, it's not occupying, it is struggle. No, he didn't say struggle till I come. He said, occupy till I come. And we need to understand, all this is true, Lord. This is true. Every word in it is, is true, Lord. Then, Lord, what is my struggle? Or what is behind my struggle? And we also see, unlike the old covenant people, we have the Holy Spirit given to us. They were not given. Some people had Spirit of God over them, the anointing. None of them had what was a privilege to the new covenant people to be born of the Spirit, to be filled of the Spirit, to be led of the Spirit. All those privileges is not there to them. And we are given all these privileges. And actually, if you honestly take a recap of this 93 days, 3 months, is we probably, most Christians, if they were honest, would say it's more a record of failure than of victory. Of complacency than on fire for God. Like yesterday, I, we didn't check that question. I had a sister writing from U.S. saying, why is that some days I'm on fire, but most days I am not? I just want to give up. Okay, give up. Okay, and that's a story of people who just give up. And the reason we will look, one of the primary fundamental reasons, in John chapter 16 and verse 8, and then Psalm 66 and verse 18, this is what God says, the first, the most important work of the Holy Spirit. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, The first thing the Holy Spirit does, the first primary work of the Holy Spirit, because he is holy, he is holy. And his primary job is to make us holy. The first work he does is to convict us of sin. Before he does anything. No? Before he does anything. Like parents are. No? You are hungry and you are, no? Mommy is made. Yummy food, everything. But the first thing the mother says is, wash your hands. Wash your hands. You see, when you put it that way, we don't look at that command as something very negative. It's very positive. Wash your hands. Everything you need is ready. But wash your hands. Until you wash your hands, I cannot give it to you. Okay? I cannot give it to you. And the child can throw a tantrum over this thing, I will not wash your hand. <laughs> Parent will say, you are not getting your breakfast. 
Okay, you're not getting your breakfast. So it's put it practically, physically there. That terms, we understand what God is trying to tell us. This is the first thing he does is he convicts us of sin and then points to the righteousness that is available in his son. In Psalm 66 and verse 18, this is what the Holy Spirit says through the psalmist. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. It's not may not hear. It's will not hear. If I regard, if I consider in my heart, Okay, consider my heart. And God sees our heart. Okay. When God was telling uh, Abraham this time next year, wife will have a child, Sarah laughed. She laughed in her heart. She didn't laugh out loudly. She laughed in her heart. So he asked Sarah, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. He said, no, you did. <laughs> you did. You will say, I have not sinned. I see. He says, I see iniquity in your heart. No, we may say, I haven't. You know, and it may be true in the sense like we didn't speak it out or we didn't do it. But God says, I see it in your heart. <laughs> I see it in your heart. You know, if you regard iniquity, you know what regard is? You're toying with that idea. <laughs> if you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear. You know, because I'm the God who sits in your heart. So if you look at Jesus Christ, and Matthew 6, 9 to 15, where the disciples asked him, teach us to pray. This was his answer. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is heaven. 9 and 10 is proclamation. It's your confession. It's your proclamation. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. It's the proclamation a believer makes. Verse 11 is his entire need in this life. Give us this day our daily bread. Entire need. Everything is into that. Okay, And that very word, you go through bread, you go through the Bible, has significance beyond we can even think of. It takes care of every need in my life. You are my daily bread. Okay, And then verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the power of the evil one. For for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you look at the whole prayer, one is proclamation, one is a prayer for our daily needs, and the other is asking for protection. But there's only one thing he actually asks us to do. To do. He asks us to want. One thing all of us have to do. That's verse 12. And he comes back to verse 12 and repeats the seriousness of it in verse 14 and 15. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He says, there is something which you need to do. And then he comes back and he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So if you come, if you come, and you realize with all these promises and all the power available, the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not by might, it's not by strength, it's by my Holy Spirit. And that's what is in us, given to us. Without measure, he said, you can have it. And nothing seems to be moving. Nothing seems to be wrong. So you have these promises, we have this power, 
which God says it's available and we have this provision, unlimited, I am your provision, all and that. She says, do you realize why you struggle? And he says, the way you struggle is, is that your prayers are all blocked in your heart. It's not going any further. Because I told you something, if you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear. And he says, you know what is the greatest iniquity in a believer's life? It is the iniquity of unforgiveness. It's the iniquity of unforgiveness. And he says, if you do not forgive, I cannot forgive. There goes all our prayer life. So only one thing he asks us to do in that. And that one thing is with what we struggle with. One thing we struggle with. So we talk about overcoming, we talk about occupying, all that is true. In Revelation 3.21, Jesus talks about overcoming, 3.21. Revelation 3, verse, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So if you ask about Jesus' life, and if you ask about what he overcame, he overcame all kinds of sin. But if you really look at what he really overcame, he was, he overcame unforgiveness. And that's the first words that comes out of his lips on the cross. That's an overcoming statement. Father, forgive them. Okay, he overcame. And he says, you need to overcome that one thing. If you can overcome this one thing, you can overcome almost everything else. It is the most difficult part. In 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 to 14, the number 3 will come again. The three categories of people in the kingdom of God, in God's family. I write to you children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. And I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So you have the children, the young men and the fathers. Okay. So the question, the title for today's message is, how can I be a father? Even if you are a woman, you can become a father or a spiritual mother. Okay. A mother or a father. How can I become a father? So you will see today is Father's Day also, by the way. I didn't know fathers had a day, you know. So you have here, how, what is, how does a child become a young man and how does the young man become a father? What makes somebody a father? What is that about the fathers that they have known him? who is from the beginning. What is that about the father they knew so that they could become like him, that they knew their father was always merciful? That's something they knew about the father. And they said, make me like you. Make me like you. So you will see very few people in the Bible very few people in the Bible, there were many physical fathers, very few people in the Bible actually became fathers. Actually became fathers. And we have patterns. We have patterns of Joseph. We have pattern of Moses. We have pattern of David in the Old Covenant. Uh, by the time he was 40 years old, Joseph was a father to his own household, though he was the youngest, one of the youngest 
To his own father, he was a father. And he was a father to all of Egypt. He was a father. Okay. Moses was a father to 600,000 men, women, and children besides. This actually was a father. The kind of father we are talking about as God is. Actually merciful father David was. Um, Joseph was. Merciful father jo- Moses was. And you will see, David was actually not just a king. He was a father to Israel. He was actually a father to Israel. And so, these are types in the Bible. And God is telling us, telling us, you have this desire, you know, to have a crown one day. This is the way. There's no other way. Learn through Bible. Learn through the Bible. Learn through the lives of the people. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate father. And he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. So you have Joseph as a type who occupied, who overcame. In spite of all the opposition he failed, he faced. The question is, how did he reach his destiny? We learn from these people, from Joseph, from Moses, from David. No? How did he consistently experience the presence of God in his life? He's experiencing the presence of God because remember, this is the key. Moses prayed, teach me your ways. And God says, my presence will be with you. And we see God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was just with Joseph. So we see these patterns. Okay? The patterns. And be very, very careful about patterns. 600,000 men will come out of Egypt. But Moses is a pattern. Gideon will have 32,000 when he blows the trumpet. But at the end, he will have only 300 men to fight. Okay? There are 7,000 who have not bent their knee to Baal. There are 100 among them who are hidden by Obadiah in the cave. And then there is one Elijah. You don't know anything what the others did. It's not a record. Anything any one of them did. But you have a record, incredible record of what Elijah did and what God did through Elijah. So you have to look at these patterns. okay? Because if you look at Matthew 6 and verse 12, We'll see how the enemy manages to deceive, deceive consistently God's people by hiding this truth, the importance of this truth. Everybody recites the, especially if you are in mainline churches, everybody recites the Lord's Prayer. But they don't realize in the middle of that Lord's Prayer is this one word that will define eternity for people. Define eternity for people as how we end up over there is all defined by that one word. Words, Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay. In other words, show us mercy as we show others mercy. So we will look at Joseph today. Because primarily what will happen is, uh, like I was speaking to the Nepali church, they got it before you got it, okay? So, but the Nepali church, and you don't understand Nepali, you understood bits and pieces of Nepali, better, okay? Dr. Richard would have understood it better because he follows Hindi. Okay, but there are three kinds of groups or three kinds of people typically you will have to face in life. You know, especially if you're a child of God. Everybody does, but they don't react that way by the children of God. And how do you deal with them? 
how do you react? And you will see Joseph primarily, Joseph, Moses, David, all of them primarily face these three kinds of people. Okay, so first let us look at that pattern. Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 to 8. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamt. There we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheep arose and also stood upright. Indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Okay. Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. This 6.12 is a spiritual truth. It's not a physical truth. It's a spiritual truth. The physical truth is that you will, you and I will very rarely face the devil face to face. What we face is the people the devil will prop up against us. You'll never face the devil. Very rarely will you face devil face to face. But you will face people. So even when the Bible says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, it is flesh and blood that the devil will use to come against you. And he hides behind people. <laughs> it's like the Palestinian terrorists, you know, they use human shields. And then when there is a retaliatory attack from Israel, they will blame Israel by saying so many school children died. But where did the bazooka go from? From the school building. So use them as a human shield. Okay, so you need to realize the devil is not attacking anybody very rarely directly. His attack is always through people. So even though we are called to fight principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and all that, they come against us through flesh and blood. And God says, how are you going to handle it? So if you look at Joseph's brothers, they hated him because they didn't want him to have dominion over them, the interpretation of their dream. And if you turn to 37 and verse 19, when he went to meet his brothers, this is what scripture says, 37, 19. They said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Let us strip off his coat and kill him. What does it mean? This means these are the people who you will meet, who will belittle you. They will mock you. They will scoff you. They're going to meet them. They're going to meet them. They're always going to be there. Okay. Because of who you are in Christ, because of a gift you have, a talent you have, a promotion you receive. Anything. It can be Anything. Just because you've been recognized. They'll always belittle you. Okay. And God says, how are you going to handle this? You may have a deficiency. And because you're being recognized, they will point out that deficiency. Remember? Mephibosheth. Is there anyone? Yeah. It's a cripple. It's a cripple. God says, how are you going to do, how are you going to deal with those people? 
who will always run you down. Who are always up to no good because you are on the right track. How are you going to face these people? How are you going to handle these people? Because it's so important you handle these people God's way, otherwise you will never progress before the first step. You will be stuck there. You will be stuck there. First Samuel chapter 17, verses 28 and 29. He has been sent by his father, again with bread and cheese for his brothers. He hears what Goliath says. Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? They dislike him. Why do they dislike him? Because he received an anointing which they didn't receive. The prophet of God skipped the first seven and gave it to the eighth. God skipped ten of the brothers and gave the dream to the eleventh one. What are you going to do? 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 It can happen anywhere. How are you going to handle? It can happen in a worship team. Can happen in a family. Can happen in an office. It can happen between a husband and a wife. I won't mention the name. Once upon a time, there was a man I knew. And uh, when his wife wanted to study, and she went to study, in the middle of her academic year, he called her back and said, you don't have to finish that course. Because he suddenly realized if she finishes his course, her qualification would be equal to his. There's no need to finish it. And she never finished it. Simple things. But you don't even realize, you don't even realize what happens. Turn to First Samuel 22 and verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Did he hold anything in his heart? No, now he's protecting them. He's taking care of them. Later when he king becomes king, some of them will be in his cabinet. And their children too. He doesn't hold anything in his heart. Does not hold anything in his heart. You have to be very, very careful. People who are close to you, people who are in your family, people who are in your circle, people with whom you daily interact. The, you are on the road. And God allows these people to come into your life. God allows them to speak negative words into your life to see how you will react. How you will react. In First Samuel chapter 10, verses 24 to 27. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. This is King Saul, okay? Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, wrote it in a book, laid it before the Lord. Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. But verse 26, Saul also went to home to Gibeah, and the valiant men with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. He kept quiet. You know why? Do you know why they despised him? 
because he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Benjaminite become king. Not even the eleventh one, it's the twelfth one. Okay, despised. They despised him. And they spoke ill about him. But what does scripture say? He kept his peace. See, Saul did not start, start badly. He, he began well. He began well. Okay, he kept quiet. He didn't do anything. Don't let the negative words of people. You are on your trajectory. You know you are growing from a child to a young man or a young man to a father. You are, you know very clearly, you are running your race. You want to overcome. And you need to realize you can overcome everything else, but you don't overcome this. You are still disqualified. Still, You will say, look at my works, God says, but I see your heart. I see your heart. You know, we will show all our works, and God is not interested in our works. Right from Genesis chapter 4 onwards, he never looks at what's in our hand first. He looks at what's in our heart first. And one of the first thing he looks into our heart is to see, do you have mercy? Do you have mercy? Okay? You will see, despised him and brought him no presence, but he held his peace. In First Samuel chapter 11, verses 12 to 14, he goes for war, he wins. His first battle as king, great anointing, wins the battle, comes back in great victory. And the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put to death. Okay. Where are those rebels who said? But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. The people said to whom? Samuel. But who replied? Saul replied. Samuel didn't reply. Saul replied. He said, it's not my call. You are the king. And he says, as king, I will show mercy. I will show mercy. You see, Samuel won the first test. He won the first test. Okay. We read, study all these things, but you realize that a lot of Christians even have not passed the Saul test. (laughs) So we talk about prayer and praise and proclamation, yet we see nothing happening. So God is saying, you are not occupying because something else is occupying your heart. And unforgiveness is an unbelievably big block in a believer's life. Believer's life. And God says, do you see that? Now let me, like I was explaining it to the the uh, Nepali church, you know. Uh, everybody doesn't have the power to hurt you. Hurt. Where you withhold forgiveness. Okay. Only the people who are close to you have the power to hurt you. <laughs> and uh, like the example I said, oh, you're going on the road, somebody cuts across you, you shout at him, he shout at him. You may be irritated for a little while. After that, you forget it because you don't know who it is. Okay? He called you a fool, you called him a fool. Okay? Cancelled out. Don't call a person a fool, I'm saying. It's over. It's gone. You're irritated, but after some day forgot. Because you don't even know who the person is. But on the other hand, supposing a wife calls you a fool? Finished, no? Kalash. <laughs> all our, 
all our patriarchal genes will come to the forefront. <laughs> right? Or the husband calls you a fool? Hmm? <laughs> matriarchal genes will come in. <laughs> or your boss calls you a fool? I'm just using a term. Okay. But what I'm saying is, only those people with whom we closely associate have the power to hurt us. And God says, what will be your reaction? What will you do? No, what will you do? Will you let go? God says, if you don't let go, you're stuck in that road to overcoming. And people have been stuck in that road for years together. Even something about an assumed grievance, not even a real grievance, that you are not even able to see the entire plan and purpose of God after that because this blocks your heart and your eyes and your mind. Like the simple example which we use. The women sang a song saying, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousand. It was just a song. Just not a fact. It was just a song. Saul has killed much more. Hundreds of more people and brought more victory than David has. But they sang a song. And you know what happened? That song hit his heart. And he could never get over it. Assumed grievance. And he never let go of it. And because of that, his eyes were blinded. And he could not see the mercy of God, even when he was disqualified. He could not see the mercy of God was arranging everything for a smooth transition. Where he could have kept his honor, his name, everything, and happily handle it over to David. And Jonathan would have been his right hand man. He would have married Michal. Happy, peaceful ending for Israel history. But he was not able to see anything. You know what? An assumed grievance. And he never lets go. And after that, the entire history of Israel, Saul is what? Pursuing a man. I can never forgive you. you know? And we don't realize. We are not able to see the plans of God, the purposes of God, because in our heart, like Saul, we are pursuing people. Perceiving people. I heard, uh, not heard, that gentleman, I've never heard him. I read him years ago, Baptist preacher. He said, why is it said, if I'm right in the book of Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. And he says, I don't want mercies new in the morning, Lord. I want mercies in the evening. Because by the evening, I want a lot of mercy. After that day, it's all over. And I've been mad with everybody. And everybody's been mad with me. It's in the evening, I want mercy. He says, until, he said, one night he had a dream. And in the dream, he was punching another pastor he disliked in the nose. And then he realized, even in my sleep, I sin. Even in my sin, in my thought life, I sin. And I realize, Lord, I really need mercy in the morning. Okay. Mercy in the morning. Okay. First set of people. And we're going to face these people all through our life. All through our life. Who will belittle us, who will speak out of turn, 
who will not recognize anything that we recognize in ourselves. All kind of things. Look at, you know, what causes, you know, all kind of things. You know, we don't know how many years Moses held something like that in his heart. Who made you judge over us? It's the first response when he's trying to rescue Israel. And he ran. And he must have carried that in his heart. You know, die as slaves. Never coming after you. <laughs> Many years the sheep must have got nicely from him. He was taking it out. Okay. You don't know. God is watching all this. No, God is watching all. The man is called, but he cannot be chosen. Because in his heart he may be carrying a lot of stuff. You know? I gave up the throne, I gave up everything, you don't appreciate me at all. You know, you know a lot of people do because they don't get that appreciation. You know? Instead they have heard something else. You know? We don't understand. We think these are little things. These are very, very big things because God is conforming everyone in the image of His Son. And the image of His Son is seen on the cross. The image of His Son is seen on the cross and the first words of His mouth is He reveals the heart of the Father. My Father is merciful all the time. When you can come on your last breath after doing Him, living a life of of a reprobate, and say, Lord, have mercy, you'll extend mercy, and says, come into paradise. And you know the heart of my father. Anyone who cries for mercy, extends mercy. Okay, extends mercy. And God says, you're going to face people all your life, first set of people, who will belittle you. He'll call you names. You know, call you names. You know, and these are, these names are, uh, this, see, these names are not compliments. You know, remember what Potiphar's wife says? That Hebrew. So, like today, if you are called a Hebrew, everybody says of genetics and blue blood and all that. Those days, it is not a compliment to be called a Hebrew. It's an abomination. You know? He didn't take it to heart. So don't take these things to heart. People may call you by the color of your skin. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. Don't take it to heart. Maybe it's by your eyes. They may call you chinky. Leave it alone. It doesn't matter. Don't hold that in your heart. No. Or your height, your weight, your education qualification. You tenth fail. And it strikes a chord inside. Because you don't know how much that poor fellow struggled. And struggled and struggled. And in one sentence, you finished him off. You, class 10, Phil, sitting along with me? No. All these things. No. All these things. And God is talking about these things. And we carry these things in our heart. And God says, you know what, I allow these things in your life. I could have avoided all that, but I allow these things in your life so that you would know who you are. Who you are. That's why he led them into the wilderness. So that they would, you would, they, they would, they had this mistaken idea that God saved them because they were such nice, gentle, kind, loving people. And God says, no, you are none of this. There's no difference between you and the Egyptians. 
Meaning, if you were Egyptians and Egyptians are Hebrews, you would have treated them the same way. They are no different. You are as merciless as them. As merciless as them. No, this is the, I never use psychology in my preachings, but it is Freud, if I am right, who said, that little child who throws that tantrum, if he had the strength of a man, if he had the strength of a man, the little fellow who is struggling had the strength of a man. He does not have the strength of a man or the wisdom of the man or this one. He doesn't have it. Only he has his passions. If he had the strength of his man, he would murder his father and rape his mother. And we say they are innocent. They are not innocent. They are helpless. That's what the Bible says. He's born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Because everything that is of evil is already in that child. He doesn't have the discernment or the strength. Okay, so please remember these things. You will face these things in life. And God says, let go, let go, let go. And Joseph will let go. And when he's, you have to look at his record. You have to look at his record. If you look at, if you turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter uh, 38, uh, not 38, uh, Genesis uh, 40, you know, 40 verse 15. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. He never mentions what happened. He never mentions about his brothers. Nobody has any clue how he reached there. He says, I was stolen out of Egypt, out of my father's house. He didn't say I was sold. He didn't say it's my brothers who did this to me. He doesn't. God is testing him. And he's passing those tests in the dungeon. We write over here about prisoners in Charlapalli and passing MA exams. He's passing heaven's exams in the dungeon. He never mentions who it is and what happened to him. He says, I was stolen away. Never. This is the heart. And then later when his brothers come, you will see his extensive hand of compassion, kindness and mercy. Outwardly acts tough and all. Inwardly there is nothing. Nothing. And God says, do you see this? How important it is in life to move on like this? Second one. Genesis chapter 39 verses 13 to 20. So it was when she, we know the history between Potiphar's wife and Joseph, okay, what she was trying. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, He has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me. I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard, I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought in to us came in to mock me. So it happened. As I lifted my voice and cried out, he left his garment with me and fled outside. And you know the end result of it. We don't know. 
If this was in the first year, then he was 12 years in the prison. If it was two, I believe it was in the third year. That means 10 years he was in the prison. Okay, 10 years in the prison. The second group of people you and I will face in this road to our destiny is people who will cook up stories about you, who will slander you, who will gossip about you. What will you do? What will you do? He's in prison. Name is gone. Life is gone. Outwardly looks, destiny is gone. Or will you keep your eyes on the big picture and not get bogged down by unforgiveness, resentment and bitterness? Second set of people. What will you do? What will you do? What will be your response? And this is important. You will always face this in your life. You will always face this in your life. What are you going to do? Second Samuel chapter 16 verses 5 to 8. Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul. This is when he is fleeing from Absalom, running from Jerusalem, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continuously as he came. Okay, these are people who will never say something to your face when you are in power, but they are waiting for you to fall out of power. And you will see their real heart being exposed. They will Also, Shema, he threw stones at David and at all the servants of the king of David and all the people and all the mighty men who were on his right hand. And Shimei said, thus, when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Look at what he is saying. And he is from the house of Saul, by the way. So all that he was carrying in his heart. Everything he says, and every word he says is a lie. David was not a bloodthirsty man. He was unbelievably merciful and kind to Saul. He would never turn his hand against Saul and everything. What will you do? What will you do? That's a question. What will you do? His soldier says, Lord, I'll take his head off. Verse 9 and 10. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog hurt my lord, the king? Please let me go and take off his head. King said, what I have to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall I have? Why have you done so? This is not an ordinary man. This is a king. This is a king. He says, what I got to do with you? Oh, short and bad fellows. Leave it alone. No king would ever do this. No king would ever do this. Leave it alone. I wish President Trump would just leave it alone. All these people who are always talking nonsense. Don't react. Just leave it alone. Let barking dogs Bark. Leave it alone. Janedo. No, like we say, if it does not apply, 
let it fly. Why bother? Don't react to everything. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. He says, leave it alone. Now, how merciful he is. And God says, can you pass this test? In Second Samuel 19, verses 18 to 23, when he is coming back, Absalom is dead. War has been won. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. He said to the king, do not let my lord impute iniquity to me. Or remember wrong your servant did on the day that my lord left Jerusalem. The king should not take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord. Abishai, again, the son of Zerah, answered, Shall not Shemai to be put to death this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What I have to do with you, sons of Zerah, that it should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shemai, You shall not die. And the king swore to him, Shall not die. Okay, this is. So he's consistent. Is consistent. Earlier you could have said that it was a tactical move, like let's not get into trouble because the Benjaminites should not join with Absalom. That's one tribe they have fighting men. At least they stay neutral. Not raise their hands against me. Because they're all political moves people make. Political moves politicians make. But David is not a politician. He's consistent. Okay. He could have made this an example to see that nobody will rebel against me again. They'll be very careful how they speak against kings and future kings. I'll make a public example. He doesn't do any of that. He'll leave it alone. God is king. If God has blessed you, nobody can take it away. You can lose it by unforgiveness. You can lose it by unforgiveness. So he says, leave it alone. Leave it alone. And I will tell you one of the people who taught him this lesson. Okay, First Samuel chapter 25, 10 to 13. Okay. This is when he is in the wilderness. He and his servants, 600 soldiers, had taken care of Nabal's flock along with theirs and all to see no harm came there. And uh, when it was shearing season, he sent servants and says, you're going to have a party, give us also some mutton. That is all he asked. Nabal was a fool. Nabal answered David's servant saying, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away from each one from his master. Okay. Now think about it. Who are you? Which company are you coming from? There's so many people like you jumping from company to company. You have to put it in practical terms how it will happen. There's so many like you who go from church to church. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. It's a general statement and may not be absolutely true about you at all. How will you react? 
Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to the men I do not know where they are from? Who are you? I don't know who you are from. Are you getting the picture? A lot of people will speak a lot of stuff. And will you keep quiet? David did not keep quiet. He heard, he said, tell them, 200, take care of the luggage. The rest of you come here. We'll finish this fellow off today. He said, we'll finish this fellow off. Abigail hears and she runs. Gets onto a donkey, gets the servants, gets food. Let's go to verse 23 onwards. Abigail saw David. She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, oh me, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak to your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name. Folly is with him. But your maidservant did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord loves, as your soul loves, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand now, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now, this present bitch. So what is she, what is she actually saying? You know, it was an incredible advice she said. My Lord, I know you are the anointed of God. And if you look at it, my Lord, till today, God has kept you free from blood guilt. You have not, by accident or otherwise, killed a single Israelite. You're meant for the throne of Israel. Let not the blood of an Israelite be on your hand. It will always count against you. Okay, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Isaiah 60 and verse 14. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. God says, leave it alone. Leave vengeance into my hands. Leave it alone. Did Shimei come and fall at David's feet? God says, leave it alone. Don't bother about these things. Don't look for vindication in this life. May come, may not come. But on that day, there will be vindication. Everybody will know who was true and who was not. Who was right, who was not wrong. But if you look for vindication now, you will never finish your race. Never finish your race. Okay. And we don't realize we have to look at that big picture. Big picture. And that's why God says, forgive your debtors. You need mercy? You have to extend mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Genesis 39 verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him. How can God show mercy if in his heart he has not already forgiven his brothers and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife? God does not go against his order. He's clear. God shows him mercy. In the prison, what you need first is not prosperity. It's mercy. This is a dungeon. And it's severe. 
the only one who can make my life easy is the prison warden he can give make my life easy here and scripture says he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison you have no clue in a prison to be in good books of the prison warden and he was in the good books of no reason only thing he did was he extended mercy and god says will you joseph did not allow the false accusations the slander the gossip to get into his heart get into his heart Exodus 5 verses 18 19 to 21 the first test Moses will have to face Now go and work for no straw shall be given to you the pharaoh says okay yet you shall deliver the cot of bricks and the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily cot And they came out from Pharaoh and they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of the Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. That are the first words he hears from the people. And this will continue for the next 40 years. You have not come here to rescue us. You have come here to kill us. First of many. You know what? He never lets it get into his heart. He never get lets it get into his heart. He always saw the big picture. I need to take these people to the other side. That's why he God kept him in for forty years. People don't realize why he was kept in the desert for forty years. He was kept in the forty years so that he would become like God. What is God? God is humble. And scripture says in Numbers twelve three, Moses was the humblest man of his generation. That forty years in that situation made him humble. How do you know you are humble? Not the way you walk. Humility is seen by one thing: you are never offended by anything anybody says. God is not offended when we say something. Jesus was not offended. They called him all kinds of names. He wasn't even bothered. Anyone respond to that? and that's what was he was making he says if you have to be a symbol of my son in the old covenant who will go and save his people from the bondage of egypt you have to be like my son you don't need talents you don't need education you don't need action you don't need words but you need a heart like my son's you need to be humble and without that you cannot represent my son like i kept saying and kept saying last week also why does god allow his children to fail to humble us it's not does not mean if you fail you are humble so all failed many times and you only became worse but some people like david and all they felt and they could empathize with others who failed you know when his son turned against his hand against his, his own father and then shimai turned his hand he said son is turned his hand why should i get angry with him jane do that's a reason that's a reason my son has turned his hand against me why should i punish if i punish him then i should punish him too also right so you will see he shows mercy on both sides he tells job don't 
kill Absalom. Leave him alone. Win the war, but don't kill him. And he tells the same thing to the sons of Zareh. Don't kill Shammai. Both sides, it's mercy. And God says, how will you react when you are accused? You'll always face people who will accuse you in life as you go further and further and further. You know, Jesus on the hanging on the cross, accusers were down shouting and screaming at him, all kind of stuff. He doesn't even react. Doesn't even react. He's still looking at there to see if there is any ministry I can do before I go. Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying of salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast out. There is an accuser up there in heaven who is accusing you day and night before God. But he has his people also on earth who are accusing before men. Before men. And God says, you cannot overcome him there unless you overcome him here. And how did they overcome him? Next verse. Look at that. Next verse. 12.11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's okay. We know it so much. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives too. They did not love their lives too. That's, you know what it means? It's not martyrdom. Ah, Philippians 2.7. He made himself of no reputation. Oh boy, touch your reputation. They do not love their lives. What is your life? The sum total of who you think you are. That's your life. Don't touch me there. Don't touch me there. Don't touch me there. Finished. If I were to sell, tell Hannah, your nose is looking big today. Finished. Message, rest is forgotten. Forgotten. Rest of the message is forgotten. And I will be thinking, I just want to go home and look in the mirror. I just want to go home. <laughs> the thing is gone. Boy, you touch people. They did not, did not love their lives. And you don't realize, God puts people like that on your way. Hey, what happened? You're looking dark today. Finished. <laughs> Finished. Fair and lovely, yes. <laughs> Finished. And you, that might be just an offhand comment. But God is just revealing something about you. You're so sensitive about your color. We're talking about little things, but think about it. Big, big things when it comes. Can you handle it? Because your reputation is your life. And you will see when it comes to Joseph, his reputation was torn into bits. But he never reminded anybody about it. Never reminded anybody about it. You know, we want to, we want to justify ourselves. Imagine, day comes when he's 30 years old, Pharaoh says, it's none second to you. Except when it comes to the throne, everything is under you. And he says, I want to clear my name. I want Mrs. Potiphar and Potiphar to come here. 
and the entire household also. Never speaks. Never speaks out. He leaves it like that. See, till the day he dies, nobody ever knows the truth of what happened in Potiphar's palace. He leaves it alone. He can vindicate himself if he wants, but he leaves it alone. See, you cannot show mercy and justify at the same time. It's not possible. I will show mercy to you after I justify myself. That doesn't work. He left it alone. God says, do you understand the block? Where the block lies? And God says, these are things which you need to understand. And he says, you know, what? My son never justified himself. We know who our father is. Who knows who your father is? He says, I will just wait a second. I will just tell you who my father is. Speak from heaven, so Lord. Thunderclap, lightning, and the loud voice. This is my son. One day you will know who my father is. I'm not going to prove anything to you now. Never justified himself. Never vindicated himself. Left it alone. With man or the devil. If you are the son of God. I know who I am. I'm not going to vindicate myself by showing you some tricks over here. I'm not going to do any of those things here. No. You have to understand these things. Because these people have been like David said about Shimmai, the Lord wants him to curse me, let him curse me. Nothing is going to happen to me. But if something is supposed to happen to me in God's plan, and this guy is the hand, who am I to stop his mouth? Because the curse without cause will not come to pass. But if there is cause and God wants it to come to pass, his mouth may be what God is using. I'm not going to stand in God's way. God says, do you see? Do you understand why we get blocked? Because a lot of people who are listening, not just some of you here, a lot of people who are listening, they have gone through unbelievable horrors at the hands of people, men and women. To everybody, God says, let go. Your destiny is different. Let go. You will hear clearly. I will be able to speak with you every day. That's how I believe Joseph walked. You cannot have Two scriptures in his, in that same chapter was saying God was with him. And you don't, can't tell me that Joseph did not hear from God every day. Joseph heard. Joseph heard. He functioned. Wonderfully he functioned. God was with him. What a statement. And he had rest. <coughs> 13 years in prison, he had rest. Because you cannot have God with you and be restless. What did he God tell Moses? My presence shall go with you. And and the only way God's presence could have gone with Moses for 40 years is he had to be a merciful man. And from the beginning till the end, you will see he's a merciful man. And sometimes it looks as if it's a test from God. But at that picture, you look as if he's being more merciful than even God himself. He says, no, Lord, don't do that. I'm zealous for your name. What will people think about you? Don't do that. Let them go. Forgive them. And God is tickled pink. A lot of things God tests us. God is anyway planning to forgive them. He's not going to kill them. But he's saying, let me see. Do you have that heart? He also knows Moses has it. But as a lesson to all of us who will come in history. God already knew Abraham would not kill Isaac. 
but he tested him so that Abraham would know, Isaac would know, and we would know. So God says, you know what? You have no clue what you are destined for. What is the destiny of everybody who overcomes is to sit at the throne. What does that mean? It means to reign. And what is the first primary facet of a king's character? It's mercy. Extend mercy. Extend mercy. Extend mercy. There are two people in a courtroom. One is the accused, the other who is waiting for justice. This one wants justice, but everybody's eye is on this guy. And what is he pleading for? Mercy. Okay. Heaven's throne. There is the accuser of the brethren. And he's accusing God. Before God day and night. You cannot accuse before God day and night if you don't have substantial evidence. You can't go before God. So devil has got substantial evidence standing there accusing day and forth. Yet his prayers don't get answered because on this side is the advocate pleading for mercy. That's Jesus. Mercy, Father. Mercy. Mercy. Give more time, Lord. I know, Lord. Everything he says is true. But I take it on myself. Give them time. Extend, Lord. Mercy. God says, I'm looking into all of our hearts and says, do you have that character? Third set of people. Genesis chapter 40 verses 12 to 15. Moses is, sorry, Joseph is not only a forgiving person, even his gift is working in, in the lockdown. Think about it. In the lockdown, is your gift working? Can God use you during the lockdown? During the pandemic, can God use you? He's in a lockdown, in the dungeon, in chains. In the book of Psalms will say he had fetters around his neck, his hand, his feet, everything in fetters. But the gift is not fettered. The power of God is not fit. It cannot be constrained by chains of men. Paul and Silas were also in fetters and legs were locked up. But the power of God was not and they cannot be praying and praising unless they have forgiven the people who have beaten them, stripped them naked and put them over. Therefore, they are not holding anything in the heart at all. Absolutely. That's why the power of God is able to come over there. So he interprets. Two people have a dream. Two dreams. And he says, this is the interpretation. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore you to your place. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me, when it is well with you, please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to the Pharaoh. Get me out of their house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I have done nothing here that should put me in the dungeon. So he says, you know what? Go, the king will restore you back. Okay? When he restores you back, you are the king is the only one who can release you. Because I have been put in prison by the king's Chief of God. So somebody above him only can. So you have access to that person. Please put in a good word for me. Will you please put in a word for me? Verses 20, 21 and 23. Came to pass on the third day, Pharaoh's birthday. He made a take feast for all his servants. He lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief butler to the 
butlership again, he placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. He hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. For how many years? Two years. Just forgot him. The third set of people in your life. Lots of people have a bitterness. Family, church, office. People whom you helped when they were in need. But when they reached a position where they could help you, they just forgot you. They pretended they don't even know you. God says, will you let them go? Especially parents. You go to any house in Kerala, you'll hear the same story. You don't know how much I sacrificed. Nobody comes. You're a prisoner in your own house. These children, I don't know. God says, will you let go? You don't know how much I struggle. Everything they say is true. That's not the point. The point is, you have become a prisoner of the past. You're not able to let go. And God is saying, you know, office, you help somebody, right? You really went out of your way, helped somebody, and he he went ahead of you. And then he became the boss. Now he's tough on you. Or he shifts the company and you put in an application. He doesn't even bother about it. He doesn't answer your calls. And you will say, boy, this is the guy. I helped him to reach that position. God says, do you have Do you have her? God says, will you let go? God has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Exaltation comes from God. But he says, I am not able to lift you up because of what I see in your heart. You are the block. I want to really lift you up. Because you are holding this against somebody. David, if you wanted, could have held bitterness in his heart towards King Saul. He could have, he could have actually said, in which way did I wrong you? Can you tell me in which way? Everywhere you sent me, I brought you success. I saved your name with Goliath. And every battle you sent me, I won. I brought reputation, your name and success and honor and glory all back to you. What have you been doing? Even out of his own mouth, Saul will finally acknowledge that you are righteous man. But did he hold anything in his heart? Never. He could have said many things. I was there for you when you needed me. And God is asking us the same thing. Even when you had the, I had the opportunity to kill you many times. I did not kill you. He would never let bitterness settle in his heart. And I'm telling you, this is, this is why God is talking about. God says, love God with all our heart, all your might, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, how is your heart? How do you, how do you love your neighbor? No bitterness. 
parents have towards children children have towards parents never forgiven their parents for the school they chose for them you know all those and because of that i could never go further in life all kind of things you know all kinds of things children who come from broken homes have a bigger chip on their shoulders then they never able to go forward in life at all and they stuck over there and they say we pray we have fasted god said yeah you did all that but i cannot answer you because you are not looking into my prayer i said this is one block one block if you don't forgive your debtors i cannot forgive you and without forgiveness how do we go with before with god come boldly confidently to the throne of grace and receive what mercy mercy and grace for every need how can i receive grace without mercy and how can i receive mercy if i don't extend mercy and god is asking us the same thing do you see the blocks in your life husbands wives parents children children parents colleagues you know and we're not saying the grievances are not true god says it's irrelevant in the bigger picture it's relevant there's nothing that anybody can do to you that i cannot cancel out if one person who should have never succeeded and reached the top it was joseph but by the age of 30 he was prince of egypt and the only reason he was prince of egypt was not because of his skills it was because of his heart because of his heart because of his heart he had clarity of how to do his work because he got wisdom from god how to handle potiphar's household he was not never trained for that he was never trained to handle a egyptian ruler's household and estate and everything and no he never did an mba he never had any of those skills but he had god and why did he have god because he had a merciful heart therefore he heard from god how to handle the affairs of this man and the man prospered like anything and then he threw him into prison without even a trial or any question just threw him into prison and he could have been very bitter by saying potiphar do you know the difference in your life after i came and from till today everything that you have prospered is because of me and you did not even give me a chance to vindicate myself you didn't even ask a question and just threw me into prison into this dungeon nothing nothing absolutely nothing you know this is god is what he's talking about he's prince at the age of 30 at the age of 30 and we don't realize where our success comes from our success actually only comes from god and god blocks us blocks us i'm not talking about in in the physical world reaching the top and never actually occupying in your heart you're a miserable man you may be ceo of your company but when you go back home you are a miserable man you know why because in your heart there is no mercy you're always pushing the second one down and watching everybody this one will take my position that one will take my position you're always no peace no rest no competition no rest what is the point of all this money to be in forbes fortune 500 successful men's list any of these successful men have one day's rest no miserable man and that's what god is talking about so god is talking about and he says the only one who can give you rest is me and you know joseph had 
rest every night for 13 years in the prison. Because God has appointed a time. God has appointed a time. God says, in your appointed time, nobody can push you down if your heart is right. Are you a merciful person? Like David? Like Joseph? It's a question God is asking. Scripture says when his brothers came and he heard and this thing, he went inside and he wept. These are the guys who sold him and took 13 years of his life literally away in chains. And he wept. David could have thought about Saul. Everything that I went through for the past 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, is because of this man. And I only did him good. Second Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1. Oh, not 6. Not 6, sorry. 9, 1. 9, 1. Not 6, 1. 9, 1. And David said, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him? What does he want to show? Mercy. Whose son? Saul's son. Now do you know? When you see that statement in 9-1, you know he's fit to be king. He's fit to be king. The first act of his as a king is to show mercy to his enemy's son. That's something no king will do. Because Mephizobeth is dangerous. He's a son of the previous king. Son of the previous king. You cannot make him come anywhere closer because there is always the Benjaminites and the others because God loves David. David loves God. It's not the same with the people. The people are like split-minded always. It's very dangerous. What does every king do? He will always destroy his rivals. Always destroy his rivals. Because they are dangerous. Solomon would even kill his own brothers. Because they are stepbrothers. Older than him. It's always dangerous to the throne. This is another king's son. And if you go by political means, he has right to the throne. He can say, it's my father's throne. It's my father's throne. But that's not what he does. Usually that's why he says, I am a dead dog. Because he knows he's only worthy of death. And he says, no, you'll sit at my table all the days of your life. And eat like one of my sons. One of my sons. And that's how he eats. And he's not even showing him mercy or kindness because anything worthwhile about him is a cripple too. Think about it. He's a cripple. One of the statements he actually makes is, you will sit at my table. No, it's to Nepali church also. Every mission I will always tell them, think in your mind's eye, David's table. Everybody is seated for the dinner. But one chair is empty and the king is waiting. Who are they waiting for? The cripple to come. Everybody is quiet. The princess, the princesses are all quiet and there comes one fellow. They don't like him sitting with him. But they cannot say anything because the king has invited him. That's exactly our story. When we sit in heaven, we were all crippled by sin. But when you sit at the table, nothing is seen. Nothing is seen. And God says, I extend mercy to you every day. And God says, do you extend mercy? That's why Joseph will rise to the throne one day. 
and he will show mercy to everybody because he's got the heart of the king. And David has the heart of the king. Saul was made king by man, but he did not have the heart of a king. David was made king by God because God saw his heart. He's got the heart of a king. He's got the heart of a king. And when God picks people to rule, he's not looking for talents because he can give talents to anybody. Just like that, he can give you talents. He can give you gifts, talents, intelligence, everything. But he cannot make you a merciful man. You have to become a merciful man or a woman. You don't get it in any university. You can have degree after degree after your name. That does not make you a merciful man. You learn it in the school of life. And God puts these people in your life. And God will say, I put them there. If you look at David, you know, David's life, Saul really had a chance to be a blessing to David, but he didn't. And David left him alone. One day, Saul will fall upon his own sword and die. Die. Romans 12 and verse 19, this is what scripture says. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't take vengeance in your heart. Live it. Vengeance is mine. I watch all these unpercival people. And I allow them to go that way. And one day they will fall upon their own swords and die. I am a merciful God and I will extend mercy for them also as far as I can. Ultimately, they will fall upon their own swords and die. You, on the other way, don't go, go their route. Don't go their route. Naval too had a chance to bless David. Right? Thank you for taking care of my sheep. Thank you because of you. I could spare all my servants for my work. Thank you. You didn't have to do it, but you did it. Thank you. Really, I want to send you one big burden of mutton biryani for you. Special. Thank you. So he could have. But he didn't. He didn't. In Second Samuel chapter 25, verses 37 to 39. Uh, first Samuel, first Samuel, not second, first Samuel. 25, 37 to 39. It was morning when the wine had gone from Nabal. His wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Then it happened after 10 days, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. I'll tell you exactly what, you know, exactly what it means today. He was alcoholic and he had a short temper. And when his wife told him, he had his first stroke. Ten days later, he had a cardiac arrest and he died. Who killed him? He himself. Because he had a chance to show mercy to David and he didn't. That's it. He will die on your own. You don't have to lift a hand, David. He will die on his own. People still die of heart attacks. Some may be unhealthy eating habits. Something else could be unhealthy habits of the heart. And God says, let it go. 
let it go. Shemai too had a chance to be a blessing to David. David is running. He had a chance to be a blessing to David. But he didn't. David will show him mercy. But he will tell in his old age, <coughs> Solomon, be careful about him. And you know what happens to Shammai. He'll be executed by Solomon. You know why? Because he didn't show mercy. See, each one of these people died by their own hand. That's why God says, don't take vengeance. Leave it alone. The rope is in my hands. They will tie their own noose. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. You just move on. Don't miss the big picture. The big picture, you are on a race. And I put all these people strategically in your life and they are the test for you. You don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But flesh and blood will rise in opposition to you and that is the test. Then there was a fourth man. His name is Barzillai. Second Samuel chapter 17, 27 to 29. This is when, again David is running from Absalom. So it happened when David had come to Mahanim, Shobi the son of Nash from the Rabbah people, and Machir the son of Amil, and Barzillai the Gilead from Rogilim. Brought beds and basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, past seeds, honey, curd, sheep, and cheese of the herd for David and the people who are with him to eat. For they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. They went out of the way to help a king who's running when another king is there, meaning they are risking their lives. They're risking their lives. They're risking their life. It is like wearing a red cap in the US now in the city. If you wear a cap called Maga on here, they will beat you up. But they went out of the way and they risked to help a king who has lost, who is running. He wins. He wins. And it is coming back now. This is chapter 19, verses 31 and 32. It's an old man, by the way. And Barzillai the Gidelite came down from Rogelim, went across Jordan with the king to escort him across Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. And he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanim, for he was a very rich man. He came to greet the king. Now look at this. I want to get at the whole picture. 33 onwards. Yeah, continue. The king said to Barzillai, come across with me. I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to leave that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? Yeah, verse 35. I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can you serve and taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? You see it here. Verse 37, 38, 39. Your servant will go a little way across Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again. I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord, the king. Do for him what seems good to you. The king answered, Chimham shall cross with me and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. 
Then all the people went over to the Jordan. And when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and he returned to his own place. We are not getting it. When the king was down and out, Barzillai went out of his way and served the king. And when he served the king, and when the king is coming back and is wanting to reward him, you see his heart. He served the king expecting nothing back. He never expected anything back. That's what God is talking about. That's what God is talking about. God says, in life, when you do something, don't expect anything back. If you expect anything back, and when they don't do it, or do the opposite, it will get into your heart, and that will become your block. Block. Will become your block. All these people will be there on the way. And that's why you will see Joseph's goodness never stops wherever you put him. In his father's house, his goodness never stops. In Potiphar's house, his goodness never stops. In the prison, his goodness doesn't stop. Meaning God is saying, whatever position I put you into, you're a merciful man and you're a kind man and you're a good man. It just flows through you. So I'm going to put you in a position so that it can be a blessing to as many people as possible. That's eternity. Well done, my good Good. Take that of ten cities. You can be much more of a blessing all through eternity because I see your heart. You are merciful. You are good. First Kings chapter 2 verse 7. David is old now. Final instructions to his son Solomon. Now show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gilead. He doesn't forget. Doesn't forget. He says, you know what? Don't forget the sons of Barzillai. Let them be among those who eat at your table. For they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. This is what I said yesterday in the question and answer of Psalm 37. You pursue righteousness. You leave a legacy for your children. These children did nothing. The father just pursued the righteousness and served the king. The king tells his son, you know what? His sons, keep them in your table. Let them eat at your table. Because his father was good to me. If that is how the earthly father is going to, earthly king is going to bless people, how much for the heavenly king? As we come to the end, Matthew 26, 34 to 40. Matthew 26. Yeah, 34. Jesus said, assuredly I say to you. Oh. Sure. Not 26, I'm sorry. Not the rooster. Let's leave the rooster. Otherwise people will start salivating. Ah, 25. 25. Not 26. 25. 34. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What is it? Blessed of my father. The kingdom was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Verse 35. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. 
I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And 37, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you? And thirst you and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to you, Assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brother, you did it to me. Did it to me. Did you see that, how this thing goes together? What did David say? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely. You know how it follows all your life? Because you follow mercy and goodness all the days of your life. Then goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of life. You didn't get it. When you are in any position, wherever God has placed you, you will always follow mercy and goodness with others. Joseph showed mercy to Potiphar and his wife and forgave them. Therefore, God opened his eyes to show goodness to the people who were there. Otherwise, he would have never seen it. Because it all comes with a question, why is your face downcast? His gift would have never been activated. He would have never known. He would have never risen. You know why? Because he was merciful, he could become good. They said, we had a dream. He said, oh, I can interpret that dream. This is it. And God was still being good to him. He said, put a word for me. He didn't put a word. God deliberately saw him to forget because it was not time yet. Not time yet. God knows when you are ready. He waited for Moses. Moses was only ready at 18 or at 79 or 78. God is looking at your heart. When will you be ready? When you are ready to reign. When are you ready to reign? When you are merciful like God. That's when you are ready to reign. Not before. Not before. God says, can you serve like that? By letting no bitterness take root. No unforgiveness. Because you will always meet people who will mock you or belittle you. Scoff you like Moses, David, Joseph. You will always face people who will falsely accuse you. Moses did, David did, Joseph did. Did you forgive and keep moving on, doing good? Here they accuse him and there Moses is pleading for them. Lord, please, they are hungry. Lord, they are thirsty. He says, will you move on? There will be always people whom you have really, really blessed. And they have forgotten you. They could have helped you when you were in trouble, but they chose to ignore you. He says, will you forgive and move on? Okay. One of the things you will realize in heaven is that every king will be a father. And every true father is known for his mercy. Joseph was a father. And David was a father. Even to Mephibosheth, he was a father. Even to his enemy's son, he was a father. And Moses was a father to all Israel. That's why in Psalm 26, no, you don't have to turn there, 136, 26 times, what is the refrain? Your mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. 
David will say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And Lamentation 3.23 says, your mercy, Saya, not evening. Even in our sleep, we need mercy. <laughs> because even in our sleep, in our dreams, in our thoughts, we sin against God. And your mercies are new every morning. And God says, this is the block. This is the block. Deal with it. I'm not saying you don't have to deal with issues. You have to deal with issues. That's not that. But deal with issues like God deals with, with absolute mercy. Absolute mercy. When God is dealing with an issue of your or mine, he's not trying to bring justice there first. He's trying to bring mercy over there. Mercy over there. It's always mercy. Always merciful. And that's one thing you look at Jesus. And one thing I look at Jesus in the four Gospels is that all it takes is one call and he stops. He stops. With anybody, everybody. He never asks anybody, I want to know your spiritual record. Did you pray last night? Did you do your devotions? Did you go to the synagogue last Sabbath? What do you want? He says, I'm just like my father. Every morning you wake up and you're alive and you're good. You know why? You didn't deserve it. I didn't look at the fact that you went to sleep without praying. I didn't look at the fact that you didn't read your Bible. I'm still merciful. I'm still good to you. And he was walking like his father on earth. If my father came down, oh, this is how we'll walk. What do you want? Lord, if you're willing, of course I'm willing. It's a leper. Wait a second. Why did you get your leprosy? Let me tell you, I have discernment now. Nothing. You know why he's doing this over and over again? Hoping that the mercy of God will turn us back to God. Let's see. It's the kindness of God that causes us to repent. Okay? And he says, I'll show you mercy. I'll keep on showing you mercy, hoping one day it will touch your heart and you will say, you know what? This God is so good to me. Let me turn back and go. That's how the prodigal son came back. The prodigal son was not thinking about his father's truths. How great is my father is and how great his house is and how great his ideas are and how right the top of him. He says, you know what, my father is kind. Even to the hired laborers, he's kind. And it is that kindness that caused him to go back. It caused him to go back. We have to look at all these pictures and say, Lord, when God says, I will confirm you to the image of your son, we need to be very, very careful about what that image is. What that image is. And God says, that's what I want you to be. Merciful people, kind people, good people. And the only way you will be is that these people are sent in your way. Then you will know whether you are kind or not. It is good to be easy to be kind to people who are kind to you. It is easy to be merciful to people who are merciful to you. What about being merciful to people who are nasty to you? What about being good to people who ignore you? God said, this is the test because you're going to get power there. I want to see how you'll exercise power here. And only kings can exercise power. And kings have a heart. That's why God says, David was a man after my own heart. He doesn't say that about everybody, anybody. Doesn't say. He says, doesn't say about anybody. He says, that's a man after my own heart. He knew what my heart was. And he was a merciful man till the end. Till the end. He was merciful. Merciful to me. Except for Uriah. 
that's a, it's a study for David also. You see, if my hand is not upon you, that's what you are. Don't think you're merciful because of yourself. That also was my mercy. My hand is away from you and you go on your own way. You can go to the level which no other man will do. So please remember, if we are not overtly wicked, it's again because of the mercy of God. His hand that kept us away. Amen? Shall we look to the Lord? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Truly, Lord, your mercies are new every morning, Lord. You said in your word, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Oh, Father, unclog our ears. Cleanse our eyes with your balm. Oh, Lord, help us to see what we really are. And what we really ought to be, Lord. Why these people have been placed in our life? Why they are there? They are for a reason. They are there for a reason. To show us who we are. And to make us who we should be. Ought to be. The Potiphar's, the Shemais, the Saul's. They're all being placed there strategically by you in our life. If it were not for them, we will never reign. We will never overcome. We will really never know who we are. Help us to be like you, Lord. Help us never forget the big picture. Touch our heart. Change our heart. Fill it with compassion, with mercy, with kindness, with goodness. Your kindness, your goodness, not man's. Change us, Lord. Change us. Help us to move on. Let not, not, let not offense take root in our heart. Let bitterness never take, have any place in our heart. Let us move on. Let us never forget our destiny. Is to sit with your throne. To become a father. Not just a child of God. Not just a young man who have overcome the evil one. But to be a father who have known you from the beginning. And from the beginning, you've been merciful. When you step down into the garden of Eden, in the cool of the evening, you did not come to judge. You came to show mercy. When he spoke to Cain, you did not come to judge. You came to show mercy. When he allowed Noah to build the ark for 120 years, it was because of your incredible mercy. You could have allowed him to finish in one year, but you are a merciful God. Mercy, 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 Lord. Help us to see, Lord, who you really are and become like you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Commit the church into their hands this morning. Hear everywhere, Lord. Plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, Lord. Cleanse us, sanctify us, fill us with your goodness and your loving kindness. And help us to always say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me 
all the days of my life. And I will also extend mercy and goodness all the days of my life. Thank you, Father. Be magnified in our lives. We give you glory, honor, power, and praise, O Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.